Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Morning, family. Morning, family. Um, Is there anything about the world that feels very uncertain to you right now? There's this guy. Who lives in this white house. And he must not know anything because he doesn't currently have a brain. He makes me very uncertain. Hi, I'm your host, Malika Radway, and this is Raising Rebels, a podcast about oppressed parents raising free children. I'm also an oppressed parent trying to raise three children. Each episode of Raising Rebels features courageous conversations with parents and my three girls, Glory, Moxie, and Blue. Today, we are joined by Carvel Wallace, father, writer, thinker. Welcome, Carvel. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so happy you're here. Today, we're talking about the unknown and how we support our children in these times of uncertainty. So, first question I have for you is basically, how are you feeling right now? One word. Yeah, one word. Oh, you you already got me with one word. I'm not ready for all that. I know, you took a breath and I was like, okay, so so you roll, so you roll, go ahead. A phrase, you can have a phrase. How are you feeling Um, right now? This word I would that comes to mind is slow. Mm-hmm. This happens every time with this 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 these talk conversations because I am feeling a little lethargic myself right now. Mm. Um, I just ate something and mm-hmm. it's landing really heavy. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm not going to go to sleep, <laughs> but I could. Yeah. So I'll just perform. If you if you if you knock out, I got this. I'll take the show. I will also say your voice is a is part of the problem right now because it's like it's very like it's very it's doing all of these things to me. But But I'm slow. I'm in slow almost in the sense too of just like coming into a new space, having new Mm -hmm. conversations with people, and then just and wanting to you know how do you um, understand what's happening. And and how you can contribute mm-hmm. instead of just coming into a space and being like, boom, boom, here's my shit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like, so mm-hmm. like it's like for me, I'm always like, when in doubt, slow down. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the for like something I've taken to heart now is this idea of like move at the speed of trust. Have mm. you ever read this book, Emergent Strategies? No. Oh, I got it. I'm gonna, don't worry. We, okay. I'm gonna put you on. But one of the emergent strategies is this idea of moving at the speed of trust. I like that. And it's I think that's kind of what you're speaking about, right. like in this slowness. Right. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. A little bit about myself. Um there's so much at this point <laughs> to myself. Um I I'm a father of two kids. They're sixteen and fourteen. Uh, living in Oakland, California, and um, I grew up all over. I like moved around a lot. I had something of a chaotic childhood. There was childhood homelessness, and there was just kind of a lot of like stuff that went on. And I ended up going to an arts high school and studying theater. And then I went to NYU for theater, 
Uh, and then my young adult life was just a lot of processing trauma and trying to figure out how to be the person that I wanted to be, but also clearing away some demons from the past. For work, I, I spent a lot, like 15 years working in youth nonprofits. I started here in New York <clears throat> with Center for Alternative Sentencing and Employment Services. And then when I moved to California, I worked at nonprofits that did gardening, nature work, uh, like education, and then foster care, kids in lockup facilities, et cetera. And Just like, you know, easy stuff. <laughs> it's kind of, it's a little bit the family business because my father and brother are both social workers. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, then as time went on, I had my own kids and just like sort of like had my own career floating. Like, wait, wasn't I going to be an artist? Whatever happened with that? I played music for a long time and that was a thing. And then that kind of faded. And then writing just kind of emerged. I just started writing stuff down that I thought, thought and felt and just putting it out there. And it really picked up speed relatively quickly. And kind of before I knew it, it was a career. Like it, it had happened and the opportunities were there. And I felt at that point in my life, because I was older, I was like probably 39 the first time I really published anything. I really had that feeling of having gone through so many things in my adult life and gone through so many things in my child life. And, you know, we were talking about the ancestors before and knowing what my parents had gone through and their parents had gone through. I think I felt like the fact that someone is coming to me and saying, we're going to open up this platform for mm -hmm. you to say what you think mm -hmm. is an incredible privilege and an incredible honor. And I felt like I really wanted to like make the best of the opportunity to say stuff publicly. Yeah. I'm, okay. <laughs> I wanna, okay, that's not the conversation we have right now. But anyway, we're going to go down that path also. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your children. So my children, 16 and 14, um, they my son goes to an arts high school in Oakland, and my daughter goes to a very mainstream, like 3,000 kid, like, mm -hmm. like public school in Oakland. She's a freshman. He's a, a junior. Uh, they're, what are they like? They're fascinating kids. They're both incredibly smart, highly functional, but in totally different ways. Mm -hmm. And um, my son is more the artist, kind of like a little bit of a nutty professor type. He mm -hmm. doesn't doesn't quite know where his shoes are, but like has like stunning insights on like spirituality and thought and politics. And my daughter is actually both. She knows where his shoes are and hers are mm. and also has stunning insights on politics mm -hmm. and like art and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, but she's a lot more functional. We, they were little kids. We used to say um, that she sees the world as a photorealist and he sees it as an impressionist that in his, if I imagine the world through his lens, it is thoughts and feelings and auras and colors and vibes. And I also think that's really interesting for him being a boy and growing mm -hmm. up like with male energy and like how to figure out how to like occupy a male role, but also be oriented towards such emotion and softness and sort of like the in-between spaces. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been interesting to watch him try to navigate putting those things together. I think for my daughter, she has a lot of, some of her, photorealism has to do with uh, her natural personality or whatever but a lot of it I think has to do with what she came to understand about the world growing up as a girl just having to keep her head on swivel like always looking at the world and understanding what people are about what are they trying to get who, who can be trusted she doesn't have I don't think the freedom to just be kind of like, oh, I'm just going through the world and seeing what's happening. Mm -hmm. She's always kind of growing up in the city in Oakland where, you know, it's Oakland is Oakland. So like, I just think that there's a certain realism about the way that she views the world that he doesn't have. And I think that their gendered experiences play some part in that. I mean, full on dissertations. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, what's your favorite thing to do with your children? Uh, 
I love going to the beach with him in California. That's the beach trips are great. Uh, even at this age, cause it takes a while to get to the beach from where we are. So there's the, there's the ride there and there's the time at the beach and the ride back. And in those times, there's a lot of, we listen to a lot of music. We always share the ox. It's like one of the things in our family and we fight over it, but we know that everyone is going to get around. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of who's going to go next. Mm-hmm. Um, and people, everyone in our family is really in, interested in music and wants you to hear the music they're feeling at this particular moment. And they really want you to be quiet and like hear this new track. And so, and we do. When they were younger, we I started this thing called Link Roundup where, because they were just into like, like YouTube and they were just really online stuff. And I thought, well, how do I integrate this into like community time, mm-hmm. family time? And so we did this thing called Link Roundup where the rules were each kid could show the rest of the family something that they were had been interested in that week. Mm-hmm. It, could, it couldn't be longer than five minutes and everyone had to watch it. Mm-hmm. And so in that way, whatever they were hung up on, whether like my daughter was going through this like major like like makeup video phase and so she'd be like everyone watch these makeup videos and i like, love it you know what i mean i love it i love <laughs> and so it we just sit there and watch some youtuber just mm-hmm. like just like you know just beat her face mm-hmm. and and for my son to just be like wow like this is art like i couldn't do like these people are painting mm-hmm. like they're doing shadows and colors and like mm-hmm. tricks with light you know and so i think that culture has remained in our family the idea that you can share what you're passionate about and so we do that with music. Mm-hmm. So I love that. And then we all, you know, we'll go get dinner. And then these conversations, my family loves to talk about race, class, politics, oh, gender. Oh, us too. Us too. We love it. My kids are mixed okay. and yeah. they're going through a lot of fascinating things mm-hmm. as mixed kids. And they're struggling with those identities in ways that I find amazing. And at some point they both pointed out to me, they were like, dad, you don't actually know what it's like to be a mixed kid mm-hmm. in 2019 mm-hmm. in Oakland. And I was like, ah right Mm -hmm. you're having experience that i don't actually fully understand Mm -hmm. so my what i'm telling you it i i can see how it doesn't fully land for you the way that i think it should Mm -hmm. and you know part of what we get to do as parents is like back up and be like okay this is what i think but what are you bringing to the Mm -hmm. table Mm -hmm. if we if we have the capacity if we have the capacity if we have the capacity which obviously you do (laughs) which is well you're trying we're all trying we're We're all all trying trying. we're evolving (laughs) we're all trying um i also it's interesting when you're talking about when you said going to the beach because the drive, we, we go to the beach a lot here too mm. in Brooklyn. Mm. Like that's a, something we do often as a family. And I never like want to do it because mm. the getting in the car always feels like it's going to be more work than I have the capacity for. Mm. But once we hit it, mm. like getting like, it's just like smooth, you know, yeah. like, like it's just, yeah, we're just, we're just here right now together. So all of that makes sense. Yeah. So part of what we do on Raising Rebels is we try to take some time to reflect at our, on ourselves as children mm-hmm. um, by doing a recollection. And the reason why we do the recollection is because often when we're parenting, we think about ourselves as like the, the grownups mm-hmm. versus thinking about who we were when we were children. And also as a way to making sure that we're bringing young people into the room and being respectful. Um, so today when I was thinking about the idea of the unknown and preparing our children for like what feels often like an uncertain, like uncertain times. Mm. Um, The thought that came to me was this idea of being in the dark. And Mm. it often during um, 
uncertain times or the unknown young as a young person you feel like other people know but they're keeping it from you mm. that like it's not none, it's not unknown to everybody it's just kind of mm. unknown to you mm. and maybe an adult has a key to that and so i asked you to think about a memory of a time when you were in the dark and it could be literally in the dark or figuratively in the dark um but when you felt as though you didn't have all the information or you couldn't see mm. You know, my childhood had, at least the way I recollect it, a lot of isolation. Mm -hmm. Isolation was a major part of my childhood. A feeling of isolation. I don't know how much there actually was because all we can remember is feelings. Mm -hmm. And, um, or all we can accurately remember is feelings. And so I remember being, feeling that a lot of, I, I had to walk through stuff alone as a kid. Why is my mother leaving? When is she coming back? Why am I with this new family? Why don't we have a place to live? When are the lights coming back on? I felt a lot of those things because I moved from family to family growing up that I I developed this world view of you just the only person who's going to be with you is you. And so that meant that I dealt with a lot of my anxieties in a very like lonely way. And I, I think of when you said that, the first image that came to mind was um, I went through this phase around third grade, fourth grade, where I had this half brother. We have different mothers and the same father, but he had a VCR in his room. <laughs> and he, for whatever reason, he just, his mother just wasn't really like on task in terms of content management. <laughs> so we would just rant whatever. Like we would just have like just all the shit you're not supposed to, you don't mm-hmm. want your kids to see. Mm-hmm. So we would watch like some like, like softcore porn uh-huh. comedy uh-huh. and then follow it up with like, like Madman Murderer part seven and just like some slasher flick. And I was just remember we saw this one movie and I remember like later that night being, I had gone back to my house and I remember being alone at night in my bedroom and just being horrified, just mm. like not being able to look any direction mm-hmm. in my room because I was afraid that anywhere I looked was going to be something. Mm-hmm. Michael Jackson and Thriller was going to come out, mm-hmm. just like the devil was going to be over there. Just everything that I was afraid of was all present. And I was just literally frozen in fear. And I remember knowing that I had to get up and go to the bathroom. And it never, and the thing that strikes me about this memory is it never occurred to me to go to an adult Mm. and say, I'm feeling afraid. I can't sleep. Can I sleep in here? Can like that? Not only did I not do that, it never even occurred to me to do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was like, I have to, this is, I have to like, just deal with this. Mm -hmm. And I remember walking down the hallway to the bathroom and being like, this is it. This is the walk. Like I may die on this walk and I'm just going to do it anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. that feeling of isolation and feeling like I had to just face whatever mm-hmm. was going on, mm-hmm. whether it f- life or death, mm-hmm. which felt to me like life or death at the time, which clearly mm-hmm. wasn't. That is the main memory I remember. Mm-hmm. That's the main thing I take away. And I think when my kids were littler, I didn't know, you know, we parent based on what we think we, we do recreate our childhood, even when we're trying not to. Mm-hmm. And so when my mm-hmm. kids would, like my son went through, he had like a very brief period of like anxiety about, he was afraid of raccoons, he was afraid of aliens, and he was afraid of Neanderthal, like Cro-Magnum Neanderthals 
that he saw a picture of and he was like what if they come back dad and i, I was mean, like you're right that would be horrifying yeah. and so he was shook around that but those were very discreet for him he went through like a week he'd be done and then he'd be done my daughter always had something mm-hmm. she was always afraid mm-hmm. what's that sound what is this mm-hmm. you know she's kind of a she was a high anxiety kid she's and and my response to that at the time was well you just you're just gonna have to deal with it mm. you're just gonna have to go you're just gonna have to walk down this you're just gonna have to because mm-hmm. i was like i was like that's what i did mm-hmm. and it's it was only later when she was a little bit older that i started thinking why am i like that what am i afraid is going to happen if mm-hmm. i support and help her i mean you're saying all of the things so when I thought of a memory of like a recollection of myself, like I do mm. it also. And the recollection that came to mind when I thought about like being in the dark was literally being in the dark. Mm. And so you mentioned it just now too, but similarly when I was a young person um, and my mother just didn't have it, mm. the Con Edison, well, it's Con mm-hmm. Edison in New York. So electricity would right. be turned off right. and we would come home from school and you know, you click, you hit the light and there's yep. no light. Yep. Um, and I remember, it's interesting what you're saying, like feeling, like I remember the feeling of it, right? And the lights would be off and we would use the gas, like yep. the stove yep. and there'd be candles yep. everywhere. And, you know, we'd move around the space. And I have a lot of memories of being afraid in my house. Like we too would watch like Friday the 13th or something. I sh- Fre- Freddy Krueger, mm-hmm. like it's a problem. Mm-hmm. But, and I was like, I remember many times, but on the time, on the moments where it was about the electricity being turned off, I don't remember being afraid. That is so interesting. Yeah, and I was like, because I was like really digging deep into it. I was like, what, what, is, what was going on in, with me? Like I have so many questions about my younger self because I wasn't afraid. And, I, and I'm like, why was I not afraid? Because so much of my adulthood, this idea of like not being able to see, mm. not like things being unknown has been really scary for me. Like mm. I've done so much work around being comfortable with the unknown. Mm. Um, And I've realized that so much of that is about fear of disappointment. Like the idea Mm. you don't know something, you you know, like, or not even that you don't know something, like you have, you have like expectations of what's to come, but it's unknown and being disappointed, you know, like, or that fear of disappointment. And so trying to control for the environment because of this fear of the unknown, but in the darkness of my house, which I didn't, ex- like I came home, I mean, I didn't expect it, but it could happen, I guess. Yeah. But feeling really like I knew. You know, it's so funny that you say that because my, like that experience of coming home and having the lights be off was a th- common thing for me. Mm-hmm. I was older, you know, like that was probably started when I moved back again with my mother around 13, 14. Mm-hmm. But not only was I not afraid during those times, I didn't mind them. They, I, I didn't, didn't find mind them either. They were like there was something chill the about candles. that. Like, I they were like, were, we had the candles. Yes, the candles. We were just in this thing. It was a, it was a special night. We were in the thing together. Yes. We couldn't just like zone out and watch TV and just like we had we were in this thing. And uh, yes, I remember we have to this. I lived in L.A. at that point, like, mm-hmm. and I remember we have I'd have to go down to the car to see what time it was. That was the thing because the only clock was in the car because mm-hmm. it's just like, <laughs> like yes, no, like, I understand. Like, I go understand. And see what time it is, so I go all the way down the stairs, yeah. go to the car, and come back up. Yeah. It's ten thirty, mile. But like, that, 
<laughs> but like there was something about those nights that I didn't, I don't know, like it didn't bother me. I mean, it did bother me. It was, it was irritating. It was frustrating. It was embarrassing. Like other kids. Cause I went to this like mixed, like kind of um, high school where, you know, there were really rich kids in my school and kids like us. That was all difficult, but just the pure fact of walking through those candlelit nights with mm-hmm. my mom, they were chill. I have, and it's so interesting when we think about our children because there's so much about, I think part of what you were just speaking about, like why it felt good. And as I'm thinking and recollecting about the memory is like, we were present. Yeah, There was a sense of yeah. like yeah. being in our own body, time Dis- like just dis- like time literally you just spoke about you right. could like go outside to right. figure out what time it was <laughs> right. and time completely disappeared and there's a way that we were present yeah and how much of being present is the antidote to anxiety mm. is the antidote to like the dep- is the antidote to fear mm. but with our young people and like with my children i'm constantly trying to figure out like how do i help them stay in their body how do i help mm. them stay present in the space and time where there's so much information and also in childhood is so like there's such a push to what comes next Mm. and like what what is the next thing even though we don't know you know like even though that like what we're pushing our young people towards there are no guarantees um there and yeah and there's just like the unknown Mm -hmm. and so how do you help your young people stay present Mm. you know it's i mean I go back to what we talked about at the beginning, those beach trips mm-hmm. and those dinners that we have where we like argue about politics and my son says some outrageous shit and then my daughter like j- jumps on him and then he gets defensive and then I have to referee and everyone's like managing. I think part of what we like about those things is that everyone is in the space together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're all in the space together. And and even if you're on your phone, you're on your phone and you see something and you tell the people, have you seen this meme? Dad, look at this meme. Mm-hmm. Ezra, have you seen this? This is funny. No, I'm not and- ready for the, <laughs> I'm not ready for mom. Have you seen this meme? Oh, have you seen I'm this not, meme I'm is not ready a for major that. form of communication. My oldest is 13 and I'm not, oh, no. we're just, we're just starting At some point this process. Gonna, I mean, my advice, you didn't have me. <laughs> At some point you just got to embrace it. No, I'm not, I'm not, fi- I'm not fighting to- it, but I'm like, it's interesting <laughs> around how much of how how better they are at navigating this larger world that they have yeah like access to oh yeah than i am right oh. like it's not it's yes, not that's right like they're they understand like yes. that is an other like that is out there and who we are together is like what is real that's right in a way that that we that are that we struggle with struggle like we're with. trying to teach ourselves not to take online seriously yes and they're like they're like well they get it yeah they get it they get it yeah. and i think in some ways this uncertainty that i am feeling mm. You know, it it kind of comes back to what we're talking about in the darkness of the house. <laughs> and I, I, I gotta say, I heart the fact that we have this shared experience, yeah. um, because there's something about the role that my mother played in that space, mm. which was like safety. Yeah, and I feel I am acutely aware that I play that same role with my children. Mm. Like me, just being there. Yeah, everything else could be shit. Yeah. But the fact yeah. that I'm there, yes. there's a certainty that they get to move with. Yes. At that same time, when they're feeling that certainty, I am like all of the anxiety is kind of living in me. 
Yeah. Like, and there's a way in which I wonder about one of the times where I'm pushing that anxiety on, you know, like I'm assuming I'm anxious because I'm assuming that they are uncomfortable with, with this unknown or yeah. this un, like uncertain times. Yeah. When in actuality, because they have me, they actually feel really they confident yeah. about the yeah. uncertainty that they're experiencing. And how do we share? Like, I'm a, a firm believer in trying to push back against white supremacy in all of the ways it has like infected me, right? And one of those ways is through like this idea of scarcity yes. versus transparency. So yes. like, yes, um, and like not sorry, secrecy. Scarcity, scarcity is also a white supremacist idea, yeah. but secrecy, secrecy versus, transparency. versus transparency, and like this idea of like things are on a, a need to know basis. Mm. And so often when I'm like we're we're gonna move to a new place or we're going on vacation or mm -hmm. we're just gonna go do something mm -hmm. that I don't have all the answers to. Like, I don't know all of what's gonna come, but for so many, for different reasons, we're going down this path. And I am trying so hard to manage their expectations mm -hmm. because of my own shit around Absolutely. disappointment um, that I'm trying to manage their expectations. And in trying to manage their expectations, I keep things from them. That's absolutely right. My kid, <laughs> I do that to my, and that my kids hate that. I hate that. And they call me out on it. And I'm like, and like it used to be, like even little stuff, like I used to go through this thing where I would never tell them what I was making for dinner. That was for dinner. I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. That you must know. <laughs> you're, we're at the grocery store. You're looking at a list. Why are you telling my whole life story but right I now, Carmel? I don't want to tell because then as soon as I say, okay, we're doing this, I don't want that. Then I yes! have to spend the next hour. And yes. I'm just like, I'm just going to put the food on the plate and you're going to, you know, and like, and I thought, you know, that was like a position that I took. Like, I'm not just going to ask, tell them what for dinner. Like, mm -hmm. you, you'll eat what I eat. You know mm -hmm, what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. I, I'm in charge. But like, but they just were like, why are you like that? That's so annoying, dad. Mm -hmm. That's so stupid. Mm -hmm. And like, it bothers them. And like, I get it because it that feedback is them saying like, it's okay, fine. When we were six, maybe, you know what I mean? When mm -hmm. we would want, but like, we're in this together. And mm -hmm. when you do this secrecy thing, mm -hmm. you then reestablish this parent child authority author you know uh like authored like the mm -hmm, author, the author mm -hmm. and the authored status that we're desperately trying to break out of because we're teenagers mm -hmm. it's time we, we we don't want we want to be in there with you we, and if you've you know? if you've like my my yes. youngest is constantly like you are oppressing me <laughs> you are real talk like you are you know all of the isms, you have mm -hmm. all the power using against mm -hmm. me. And there's a way, <laughs> there's a way that she's not wrong. You right. know what I mean? And, right. and like, it's upsetting, you know, right. because it's like, I, you're not wrong. And, uh, right. and, and having the time and space to actually allow for like all of the time, like all of what it takes to be completely transparent with your young person. Yeah. Because when you do give information, there's going to be a why. Yeah. And then you also have you also have to have such integrity when you've decided mm. to parent from this perspective like from this like transparent like we're going to be in it together um because they will call you on your shit. And when you're not yeah. Like you haven't thought it through, yes. you know, like you yeah, haven't, yeah, yeah. You, you know, like you. you might not say it because I told you so, yeah. but really you ain't, you didn't go so far. So <laughs> yeah. you don't have a lot to base it on. Yeah. Um, 
And then a lot of times what you're basing it on is your own childhood trauma, yeah. your own shit yeah. um, that you haven't fully like exercised. Uh, it becomes really hard. Um but also so rewarding to be in it with them. And the other, I mean, the mm. other side of the transparency um, and the uncertainty is that I sometimes, I, I want to be honest with my kids, right? Like, I, yep. I want to tell the truth. Like, yep. let's, we're going to tell the truth. What comes with telling the truth is you see shit that then become, you become hyper aware of mm. that maybe if we weren't having all of these conversations, um, mm. You wouldn't have to see it everywhere, right? Mm. Like I can't. You mean like like race, race gender, class, yeah, all right, like right. if if she's checking right. me about oppressing her, right? Rest assured, what, what like, does it she, feel like for her to move she, through just the world at large? Every, I I did this. Um, I run a school mm. and we do a lot of affinity group work, and we did an affinity group for girls, mm. and um, they were six, seven. Six and seven year olds, mm. five, six and seven, year olds, like six and seven year olds. And I sat and I started the conversation with, and I asked, where do you, when do you feel safe? Mm. Here I go. The first person that is to speak in the circle mm. is my child. Mm. And <laughs> just cause, you know, this is how we are. And I said, I was like, you got, yeah, she's gonna, mm -hmm. cause I'm trying to do a thing here, yeah. right? Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to do a thing. Yeah. I'm holding space. Yeah. We're doing affinity groups with six year olds. It's gonna be dope. Yeah. Here goes my child. Well, I never feel safe because all of the isms are everywhere. Ooh. I got racism, Ooh. classism, sexism, Ooh. age. Ooh. Just reading me, Ooh. her mother, in this affinity group that I'm at. Um, and it's this way of like, right. right. And I wonder about how much... Like, I don't regret sharing, of right? Course. Like, that's the world we're living in. And I think she's going to... All of them, all of us are going to have... We have such community because we have these shared experience and we yes. can talk about it. Yes. I also worry about their wonder. You know, one of the th things that I, this was, yes, I think this is a fundamental parenting question mm -hmm. that a lot of parents have, which is how do I tell them what's going on without some negative side effects of them knowing, which I don't quite know what they might be, mm -hmm. but they're in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. Is it that they live in a panic? Is it that they're constantly freaked out? Is it, and when we would get this question on the parenting podcast, I would remember something that we did when we were, when the kids were, when we were little, when the kids were little and we were little too, in a sense, which is that we defined whining, you know, kids go through their whining phase and how, what is whining? Okay. Is it talking in this voice? Is it that we define whining as pointing out a problem without offering a solution? And I think we, I got that from somewhere or read it somewhere or something. I got to ponder Wait, wait, hold on. Pointing you got to say it again. Pointing out a problem without offering a solution. So pointing out a problem without offering a solution. Okay. So like it might be, um, um, you know, like uh, I want milk. This green cup is slippery. Yeah, which is like okay, great. The green cup is slippery. That's you. That's okay. Fine. I hear you. Uh -huh. Are you saying can I get a paper towel to hold this green cup? Or mm -hmm. like can like are we working on a solution for that? So like you can say yeah, I have this issue, but then let's let us even if your solution is like can you help me figure out what to do about this? The idea is that you're working towards you're trying to like get your kids to work towards. And the reason why mm -hmm. whining is and I don't you can't get that 100%, but mm -hmm. it's like a nice idea. Mm -hmm. And the reason why it's frustrating is cuz what we found as parents when we were is that it's incredibly frustrating to be driving a car or managing this and the taxes and the uh, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then the kids are just, just hovering around you pointing out things that are wrong. <laughs> Ways you suck. 
It just weighs <laughs> you out. It's just frustrating. And so that's why parents get really get edgy about whining because it's like, you have no idea what I'm trying to do here, kid. Like, I'm doing a lot. It's like, I understand Fair your sippy cup isn't Fair the enough. one you wanted. I know. But relax. I know. And so, and, I know. So, and so I then, I think about that concept in terms of how to prepare kids to understand the world. Mm-hmm. And what I think is that if we... If we only point out that's screwed up, that's screwed up, this person's racist, that's classist, mm-hmm, blah, 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 then that leaves the kid feeling overwhelmed and helpless because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all they know is that it's terrible things everywhere. Mm-hmm. That part of what our responsibility is when we bring, the, when we identify these things to children is we also talk about what we're doing mm-hmm. about it mm-hmm. and that that's what it is. How am I combating this? Mm-hmm. And that may be, in fact, maybe when you're talking about little kids, that's when you introduce it. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? I'm going to this climate march because this mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm volunteering for this thing because this I'm mm-hmm. like showing up for this like event or this talk back or this community or this volunteer thing because of this issue. And here's my way of addressing mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. that I think with kids, if kids just feel like the whole world is just a bunch of bad people just doing whatever, mm-hmm then it is really frustrating and anxiety provoking for them. Mm -hmm. But if they feel like here's what we're doing, the world has some difficult things and here's what we're doing to help, Mm -hmm. then they have a much easier time processing Mm -hmm. the whole reality. And I think, yeah, that's kind of the way I. So uh, whining drives me crazy. So (laughs) I got, I got, I heard you, but I also got stuck there because um, I hear you around Mm. this idea of, um, offering like a noticing without a solution. And I was thinking about, like what exactly are children trying to communicate when they whine? Like when they yes. have these moments yes. of, and, and and like what you're saying as far as like if everything feels, if everything you're getting or is, and when you're being, sh- when you're, we're tearing down the secrecy and telling all the stuff, we're only telling about the negative bad stuff versus like all the wonder and what is amazing. Yes. Yeah, you're gonna have a lot of whine, you know, like and yes, you're gonna have a lot true. of- um, that's true really stressed out young people. I think so. And I think there's also this... Because young people are powerless. Yes, yes. That's their major issue. Mm -hmm. That's their one... If young people were to organize and form... Mm -hmm. Like, that would be their one issue. Mm -hmm. We are powerless. Mm -hmm. We can't do stuff. You guys are always telling us what to do and what not to do. Every time we try to do something, you guys are saying it's the principal's office. Mm -hmm. We're powerless. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's their major issue. So, like, we want to help them feel like they have some... They could have some movement within that. And that I think the other part of it is making sure that you recognize what you do know in these times of the unknown and going mm. back to like your young person or your, your kids, they know you mm. and they're learning themselves. What worries you right now? The future, mostly. Tell me more. It's just the unknownness about it. Like I can't predict the future and that is unsettling i want to do a study on like what would happen if people knew like their past selves could come back and just tell them you're gonna be okay like you're gonna make it through this and you're it's gonna be okay and like tell them like just tell them that they're gonna be fine and like when it'll end and i wonder if that would disrupt the space-time continuum but i'm I'm just curious to see how much of unknownness affects the way we go through our lives you know but you have always been okay yes i have always been okay so everything 
every all the evidence you have in your whole entire life tells you everything's going to be okay. Yes. But you still worry. Well, part of, for like a couple years ago, that was part of the reason why I was sure everything would not be okay. Because in movies, it's always when everything's okay that something goes wrong. So how do you not let what the rest of society is telling you, which is like be afraid, be scared of the unknown, um, not be the loudest voice in your ear and make the loudest voice in your ear be what you know to be true, which is like life's pretty great. Life is pretty great. It's pretty going. It's pretty going pretty pretty good for me, cause I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why. I just can't. Maybe that. I think it's just scary to let that part of myself like be off guard. Cause if it's off guard, it gives me a lack of control, mm-hmm. which gives me anxiety. Mm-hmm. So just be. That's why. That's one of the reasons I can't sleep. Cause like being awake. Is being afraid keeps me awake, which in my mind is keeping me safe. Because if something happens, I'll be ready. Which is why I think we should get a dog. I think it's un. I don't know if a dog would help, but I just think that it's not right and not fair that you have to worry about what is a wonderful, wonderful life that you're going to live and are living right now. It's going pretty well, actually. It's going pretty well. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's so much that's happening in our, like when you talk about being in that car ride to the beach, it's a whole like um, system, right? Like a whole like mm-hmm. solar system that's mm-hmm. happening between you and mm-hmm. these two other peoples and how you are revolving around each other. And we focus so much sometimes on like that, the unknown stuff that is like out there in the world and outside of our control. Like part mm. of the reason why I think adults are often trying to control our young people is how out of control we feel Mm. around what is actually happening Mm. in the world and like that there are no guarantees and you can't say to your young person like yeah i know that so-and-so is not going to be president because that's crazy or i know that this you know we're going to move in this or this person on the train is going to you you can't know all of that that's beyond you can't and 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 being honest about that and transparent about that and still being solid with your young person, I think can be really hard, which well, is part of what brings the secrecy, which well, part of what, true. you know, like. That's true. And I also think that too, we have to look at it, we get to look at our own resourcing. Mm-hmm. So like, you don't know where you're going to move or what that's, but, but and yet you go on. Mm-hmm. And yet you show up. And yet you like, can laugh at a joke or pet a dog or whatever it is. So what is it that allows you to do that? How do you maintain movement Mm -hmm. in those fearful places? That's what we're role modeling for our kids. Mm -hmm. After the election, my kids were that age where they were, I mean, it's like the worst age for that. I mean, there's no good age for that Mm -hmm. 2016 election, but they were, I thought, at particularly stressful ages because they were old enough to understand 
some of the darker implications of what was happening Mm -hmm. but they were way too young to have any perspective on it my so they woke up feeling like what on like what the fuck is this the beginning of the and to be honest i the next day after the election i was like i don't know Mm -hmm. i don't know like Mm -hmm. a year from now who knows what the Mm -hmm. fuck could be going down Mm -hmm. with this but at that on that day i had to say something to them to help frame this moment what did you say what i said was a version of what i said look here's what it is there are people who believe that you should help others and there are people who believe that you should only help your people and fuck everybody else there's always been those two different kinds of people and all that happened last night was that more of the people who believe the second thing voted or something and they seem to like now be in charge for a time mm-hmm. so that doesn't mean that everyone in the country has changed it doesn't mean that everything in the world has changed it mm-hmm. just means that now those people seem to have won this particular thing for this moment mm-hmm. and the question that we i said your mother and i we were separated at this point mm-hmm. but still and their mother was overseas in london mm-hmm. when it happened and so it was really weird so it was just us mm-hmm. and I was like, your mother, I think she was in London. She was somewhere, but I think it was in London. I was like, your mother and I, we've known for as long as we've been adults that th- that we're the kind of people who believe in helping others. Mm-hmm. That that's what we do. That's what we're about. <clears throat> if someone is oppressed, if they're downtrodden, if they're hurting, we try to find a way to help. It doesn't. You know, that's what we're about. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you guys have to figure out what you're about. And I, I can't tell Did you. Did you just drop the mic and then leave the space? Good night. <laughs> Get out of my car. The world is yours. (laughs) And I was like, um, I was like, I don't, I can't tell you who Mm -hmm. to be. I don't own you. Mm -hmm. I know, I know what I'm like. Your mother knows what she's about. Mm -hmm. And you guys are going to have your lives to figure out what you're about. Mm -hmm. And what I believe is that if there are people who are not about helping people, then I have to be about helping people just to like help the people that get harmed by them not helping people. That's just what I'm doing. How did they respond to that? Uh, I, you know, I think that they, they listened. I mean, okay. they didn't have a lot of questions. I mean, I think that often Maybe they happens. they were just processing it. But yeah. I mean, again, there's not, that's not a moment. That's the beginning of, we're, they're, they're still processing right. Every kid in this generation is right. going to be processing. We are. this. We're still processing. Yeah. Everyone is going to be about yeah. this for the whole of their lives. I, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> the kids who grow wait, up with this, this what? is going to be a defining Slow down, thing. Wait, you went Think too far. <laughs> These kids are for the rest of their lives. These kids are going to be 80 years old being um, like, well. I'm going to start birth- whining. It's, it's, like the, it's, like, it's like people who grew up during the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, people who grow up it, can never let it go. They'd be saving like olives in like a little jar. Like, well, it's a great depression, baby. Like that was a defining event for them. And I think that this election will be a defining or this moment of Trump and seeing seeing so much of the facade of the American story Mm -hmm. just crumble so quickly and just not be like sustainable under any circumstances. I think that will be a defining thing for them the whole time. Um, Carvel, you mentioned this idea that your children, because they are mixed race, are having... um, a different experience than you did. Yeah. Um, and my daughter, um, really kind of like my my daughter, is it's evolving, are queer. Mm. And um, there's a way in which one of them is very like out, can't like mm. in that she's very 
clear mm-hmm. in her identity has been for a long time and there's times where she will come home and express an experience of oppression that I have never felt don't even know don't even see it mm. um and I'm like like I I can, all I can do in those moments in many any many ways is like be the landing mm. um be the sorry for the larger world that is mm. shitty um be the warm place and often that's enough to get us through the next to the next moment and there's a way that i actually feel really strong and powerful in that that unknownness mm. versus it's interesting cuz like if you if there's a way about certain things like I feel like I should have lived an experience or know enough to help guide you to have an easier experience. So I have a lot of pressure on myself around that. But things that are outside, like this election, like outside of my wheelhouse, I actually feel really comfortable in how we engage with it because we're we're learning and experiencing together. There is no pressure on me and there is no pressure on them to like have it figured out. we get to be honest about what is going on and what is happening in that space in that time. Um, do you feel like, how do you feel around the things that are unknown to you? Yeah, I mean, the reason I brought up that thing about them m- making me understand that they're having an the experience of mm-hmm. race that I don't understand is that I think I previously thought, well, I'm going to teach them how to be black. That's mm-hmm. what I do. I'm like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to black them up. It's going to be black, you know, black and black it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I really had this vision. I think, of, and I, and I, having grown up with a handful of mixed kids, uh-huh. I saw this dynamic play out in a lot of different their, of their families and watched them navigate it in interesting ways. And every mm-hmm. kid, mixed kid navigates it a totally different way because mm-hmm. it's such a thing to navigate. It's such. And, I mean, it's it's definitely something that I want to learn so much about. It's such an interesting thing it, it to really, be experiencing yeah. in this time and watching. And yeah, and just like and so there and so I think I thought well I was going to be the in house expert in a certain experience of race, mm-hmm. only to find as with all forms of parental expertise that you're kids are like actually dad i don't think i think what you're talking about is from a different time and place mm-hmm. and does not apply to today mm-hmm. and to my to my thing today and now my ego didn't like that or my mm-hmm. whatever like lineage vestiges of absolute parental authority that as a concept that i was raised with and that my ancestors were raised with that that those parts of me didn't like that mm-hmm. but the part of me that just was like alive and in this moment and love these kids was like yeah that's a good point Mm -hmm. so let me learn Mm -hmm. from them Mm -hmm. through you let me have space create space for you to give me feedback you mentioned that your um daughter uh experiences anxiety like i don't know if you Mm. use the term anxiety but like fearfulness in a consistent way and i have a um a daughter who is consistently anxious Mm. um and there's a way like I do think how it's expressed or what she communicates is this like unknown. Like mm. I'm anxious because I don't know what's coming. Mm. I can't plan for it. And sometimes she'll ask a question. The whys never end. So yes. kind of when are we going yes. tomorrow? Yeah. Well, why are we going tomorrow? Yeah. Who's going to be there? It's like they're yeah. trying to, if you can, yeah. get, enough you can get enough information, yeah. you can pad yourself against the anxiety. <clears throat> and I've gotten to a point where I just like, they'll ask a question that I, I know they know the answer to because yeah. I've answered it a yeah. couple of times already because <laughs> you just asked me. Um, and I'll say, 
what is real what's going on mm. like what what are you feeling right now and she was like, I'm worried about, mm, da, 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 you know, and it's so helpful because then we can talk about the feeling or like process or like just have it. Yeah. Just, just have, have it. it. Like just, just have it. Just have it. And then just have the feeling. Yeah. Um, and this idea that you're going to have the feeling and then you're going to come out of having the feeling and then you're going to have another feeling. Yeah. And the more you let yourself have those feelings, you know, we went to see Frozen mm-hmm. too, <laughs> and that song. Um, Frozen the, and Frozen Two. The Frozen first, Two. Okay. They have a song in Frozen Two because okay. you know they just do this thing with these hits. Yes. So oh. they have a new song. It's called Into the Unknown. Oh. I know. Who sings it? You know who oh, sings yeah, right, it. Okay, right, right. Okay. Who sings it? Um, <laughs> so, but the whole concept of the song is around embracing the unknown. I see. And that she, like, there's something that she's fighting around moving in to the unknown. And when she, like, lets that, like, she owns that part of who she is, mm. it's freeing. And that everyone else might not be able to move with her there, or everyone else might not be as comfortable with the unknown as she in, but is but in that space she feels free and i think that for me so much for what i want for my children what i want for black children in particular Mm. is to be able to tap back Mm. into this thing that is real for us Mm. part of the ancestors part of our ancestors part of our who is, is this comfort with the unknown this comfort with the like mystical like world the wonder that is the world the like seeing things and trying to discover to and see find- the unknown as a place of wonder as opposed to a place yes. of threat yes oh because that is what oppression does right that's like exactly that's exa- that is what oppression does that's oppression exactly it. it makes you scared all the time you know it's funny you say this because last night i was we um, we went out and rented this place out in shelter island mm-hmm and we just only stayed there for a few days, but it was nice to be out. And then we were like, we were leaving at night because I know I had to come back this morning, even though we had the rental for two nights, we left at night. And we go to the car and the engine's running and the things are overpacking and everyone's hustling to get out. And then uh, and then I was like, wait, have you looked at the sky? And mm. so my girlfriend got out of the car and we turned off the thing and we looked up in the, in the stars, right? I mean, it was like mind blowing. Mm-hmm. And we were weeping. It was just me and her weeping, mm-hmm. and talking about the ancestors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, I love to weep and know, talk about just, the ancestors. Just, it's like my looking, favorite thing. Just looking at the sky and weeping. And, and I was thinking about how transformative and meaning this experience was. And then I thought about all the kids that I've worked with over the years. Nature education mm-hmm. with kids in the projects, getting kids out of lockup facilities and doing like farming, whatever the thing. And how I was always like, it was like kind of lighthearted, but in this moment, it struck me as incredibly painful. Mm-hmm. This joke about the, all the kids just being terrified of the woods, mm-hmm. just like the trees, mm-hmm. the darkness, mm-hmm. there's going to be axe murderers, mm-hmm. a bear's going to come mm-hmm. out, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I always laugh. I mean, just growing up the way I did and where I did, I would always laugh at the difference between black people and white people's mm-hmm. relationship to that unknown. Mm-hmm. It was like a running joke. And I was, mm-hmm. you know, would be around in college or in these nonprofits with all these white folks who were camping every week and just eating like organic vegetables that they grew mm-hmm. at the thing and mm-hmm. in the yard, you know, and it's like, oh, and they, to them, the world was just nothing but wonder, just wonderful world. And for the participants we served or whoever the population was, 
every unknown thing was terrifying. Absolutely. You show them some from fruit juice. What the hell is this? This looks like somebody's insides. What yes. is it? You know, like yes. I don't recognize this. Yes. And last night, it the this another element of that really hit me mm-hmm. because there is such beauty and wonder and and. For me, a spirit is present in that place. Absolutely. That gives me some kind of something that I need to go on. And it's unfortunate that oppression has made it to the point where we don't, we can't feel safe in the unknown. And this is what we're, this is what we're trying to work on. And I think as much as we can like allow our children that wonder to hold on to, um, not having to solve it all the time, like Mm. not having to Mm. figure it out all the time, to be able to sit in this space of, I don't know another better way of describing it than magic, the idea Mm. that at any time something amazing can happen to you. Like I've started this mantra of like, the world is, I say to myself, the universe is conspiring for my success. And I'll say to my girls, like, the universe is conspiring for your success. You're good. Mm. And um, I just kind of say it, and I now I believe it. And for so much of my life, I did not believe that. Mm. And so I think if we can help our black children, even in these uncertain times, even with all of the shit, know that the universe, the ancestors, right, nature, their parents, us, are all conspiring, conspiring, working super hard for their success, I think that they're going to be okay. I, yeah, and I also think that this is one of the reasons why the ancestors is such a powerful vehicle for this. Because if you tell somebody, a black person, the universe is conspiring for your success, my first thought is, so the universe brought those ships over? And like, I'm not sure... <laughs> That I, you know what I'm saying? Like, I might need to speak to a manager because. <laughs> the universe you, is the star. But if you yes. tell me the ancestors. The ancestors, yeah. I know that they, you know, that yes. I can believe. So I yes. think that's one of the reasons that concept holds such power for us. And the other part of it is <clears throat> naming white supremacy for what it is. Boom. So like to be able to say, no, the universe is not white supremacy. White supremacy is white supremacy. Well, white supremacy brought those fucking boats over yeah. and all that other shit you have to deal with. But, but that the, is a hard question. That's the spiritual yeah. question that we face in general is how can we trust a God that allowed this to transpire? And I, and obviously we're not the only people who've had to answer that question, mm-hmm. but I think that is the question that a lot of people struggle with. I think if you think of the God as you, mm. then you know you can't. you don't allow for shit to happen mm you are experiencing a world, right? Mm. Like you are in it and you're experiencing Mm. a world. Mm. And that idea that, you know, I don't, you know, light is a beautiful thing because you shine light on some shit and you can see it. And I think our young people, our kids, our children, that's what they do. Like Mm. they can shine light on things and know what it really is versus thinking that it's a God or like destiny or the way... It's, that's bullshit. Right. You are amazing. Right. The world is conspiring to your success. Right. White supremacy is fucking real. <laughs> and we're just going to continue to like push back against yeah. it at every turn. And don't don't trip. Don't yeah. let people tell you otherwise. Yeah. Let Don't let like don't. That's bullshit. Yes. And we know what we know. Yes. And I think like that's how 
we continue to move forward. I so enjoyed talking to you. So good. I really appreciate you coming and sharing with us. I'm so Thank glad you. We did. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We wish you the best of luck along your parenting journey. And know that I have your back. This podcast was produced by Domino Sound. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.